Well, good morning. It is good to be with you this morning. So I just want to remind you that in many, I'm just like you. I'm just trying to figure out life and trying to figure out where Christ is at. And the sense of my role, not only here, but my role in our community and family and friends. And you know, if I have a burden in my life, if there's one thing that I could change, one thing that I that keep in front of me is this idea of, of I, I feel a, a sense of urgency about the people I'm around and trying to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. I just feel like it's something that's so important. Um, not to go around beating people over the head with a Bible, but in the normal course of life, to be able to move the conversation to spiritual things. I mean, it is, it's, we live in a really, really, really hard time right now, and I believe people are looking for answers to life, and you and I have those answers, ultimately in the person of Jesus Christ. And so whenever I go about my life in the everyday trappings of life, I try and figure out ways that um, I can point people to Jesus. And I've told you about a, a Thursday morning prayer, not prayer group, a Thursday morning breakfast club that I'm a part of with my, I call them my Harley buddies because they all ride Harley motorcycles. And we meet at a local restaurant. We've been doing this for five, six, seven years. And we've been at this one restaurant for uh, for uh, over a year now. And um, two weeks ago, the, the gal who normally waits on us, there's, there's two people that normally wait on us. One of the gals came up and she just started talking about um, uh, going to the TV channels and looking for a, uh, a, a pastor on, the, on TV so she could watch a service. And when she said that, I'm like, okay, um, I, I want to pursue this because I have no idea who she's listening to. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't trust all the TV preachers. Prosperity gospel is huge out there. So I just began to have this conversation with her and began to ask her. Um, um, I just said, hey, listen, have you, ever, have you ever read the Bible? She says, no, I've never read the Bible. So that morning I said, hey, listen, why don't you just go and, and start in the Gospel of John and just read through the Gospel of John and see what happens. I mean, it's one of the Gospels. Just read through it. She said, okay, I'll do that. So the next Sunday, last Sunday, or uh, to Thursday, I came back, and um, evidently she knew that I was going to ask her this, and she knew that she hadn't read it. So she showed up that morning, and she's trying to look on her phone and get a version of the Bible where she can read uh, the Gospel of God, knowing that I'm going to ask her that. So we sat down, she came over and she said, uh, by the way, I, I didn't read, um, I wasn't able to read what, uh, what you wanted me to wrote, read. And I said, hey, listen, that, that's not a big deal, not a big deal at all. And uh, we just began to have this conversation. And uh, so I, I asked her, I, I, said, um, I said, do you have a Bible? She said, no, I don't, I don't have a Bible. Um, and I challenged her again to read through the Gospel of John. Then I asked her this, I said, I said do you know who Jesus is? She said, I know about Jesus. She said, you know who John is? She said, no, I have no idea who he is. So within two minutes, I was able to give her a flyover of the Gospel of John and what the Gospel of John points to. The Gospel of John is about Jesus. It's about John writing that Jesus is the Son of God. And simply by believing in his name, you may have eternal life. And I challenged her to that. And I believe that she's going to read it. And the other thing that I'm doing is this. She doesn't have a Bible. I couldn't believe it when she said she didn't have a Bible. I've got this Bible. And next Thursday morning, I'm going to show up, and I'm going to give her this Bible. And I'm going to write a little card in here. I'm going to give this to her. And I'm just going to say, listen, would you do me a favor? Just start in the Gospel of John. Read a couple of chapters and see what you might learn about the unique person of Jesus Christ. And we'll see where we're going to go. And listen, this is not something I'm special at. It's not something I'm, I'm actually even good at. What I want to do is I just, I just want to do the best that I can 
to direct people to the wonder and the beauty of, of who Jesus Christ is. And, and we never know what's going to happen in life. It could be a family member. It could be a, it could be a person in a coffee shop. It could be your neighbor. We just never know what's going on. And what I want to do is I want to remind myself and to remind us that, listen, we're sent people. When you leave here, you go into a mission field. And it could be your friend. It could be your neighbor. And what I want to do is I want to make sure that I'm all about the gospel of Jesus. I, I want to be a guy who tells people about Jesus. It just, it just means that much to me. And I hope that it means that much to you. Even if you don't, the book of Colossians says this, pray that God would open a door for us to, to speak the mystery of Jesus. God, I don't know what's going to happen today, but Lord, would you just do me a favor? Would you just go before me? And when you open my eyes to people around me and, and give me an opportunity to talk about Jesus in some way, maybe there's some hurting people. Because we're sent people. And that's what we're going to see this morning as we jump back to the Gospel of Mark. Jesus is going to send his 12 disciples out. He's going, to, he's going to send them out on a mission. He's not going with them. He's just going to send them out. And he's going to send them out with a purpose to go and proclaim a message that he'd given to them, that he'd modeled for them. And what we see this morning in the Gospel of Mark is this, that, that, that Jesus sent the disciples out. And, and we, too, have a responsibility to go wherever God may take us to. Hopefully with a sense of urgency and hopefully with this idea that our lives have been changed and transformed on the inside. And because our lives have radically been changed, that we want to we talk to people about Jesus and what he's done for us. And that's kind of where we're going this morning as we jump back to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 6, verses 6 through 12. I want to re-engage in the Gospel of, Nine, Gospel of Mark. Why? Because when we do this, we're re-engaging in the life of Jesus. Engaging in the life of Jesus. And that's what I want to do. As, as we learn from Jesus, I want us to be able to be as arm, iron sharpens iron so that we can help other people to grow in their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. So Mark chapter 6. Let me just read the text, if you will. Verse 6 says this. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. Verse 7. Calling the twelve to him, he sent them out two by two, and he gave them authority over evil spirits. And these were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts, or sandals, but not an extra tunic. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave as a, as a testimony, as a witness against them. Verse 12 says, they went out and they preached that people should repent. And they drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and they healed them. Father, thank you for your word. Father, I thank you for the way that you've changed our lives. Father, I pray that you would help us to live with a sense of urgency. Lord, help us to recognize that you've changed us. And Father, we have, God, we have the message that will radically alter a person's, not only life on this planet, but for eternity. Because you've given us the message of Jesus, the message of the Christ, the Messiah. And Father, I pray that you would burn that message deep inside of our hearts so that we would not be complacent, that we would be grateful for who you are and what you've done for us. And Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the way that challenges us, the way that we think, the way that we act. Father, I pray that you'd open our eyes that we would see just wonderful things from your word this morning. In the name of Jesus, I pray. And all God's people said, amen. 
So what I want to do is, is, is that we re-engage back in the gospel of Mark. What I want to do is I want to just go back and I want to point out the, the backstory to you because I think the backstory is really, really important for where we find ourselves in Mark chapter 6. So there was a challenge in Mark chapter 1 verse 17, a challenge to come follow. Notice what it says. It says this, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And that's what they did. These guys immediately dropped their nets. They left their business. They left their families and they said, oh, we're going to follow this guy by the name of Jesus. It's a call to follow. And there's this sense of to make a fisher of men. What is a fisher of men? I don't think they had a clue what that meant at this particular point in time because I think sometimes we don't even know what that means. But there's this sense of, of what does it mean to be a, fishers of, a fisher of men? And so there's this challenge to come and follow. That's the beginning point. And then in Mark chapter 3, he kind of ups the ante a little bit. He's been with them. In Mark chapter 3, verse 13, it says this. Jesus went up to the mountainside and he called those whom he wanted. And they came to him. And then he appointed the twelve, a specific task, appointing of the twelve, designating them as apostles that they might be with him, that he might send them out to preach and have authority to drive out him. So here we have, some time later, Jesus going up to the mountain praying, and now he calls them and appoints them as apostles, appoints them as sent ones to be with him, and eventually he's going to send them out with his power and his authority to do these wonderful works and to cast out demons. But up until this point, none of this happened. They've basically been spectators. They've been students. They've been watching Jesus do all of this work. They've just simply been following him as he goes from village to village. And now when we come to our text, this morning the strategy changes. Instead, what Jesus is doing, he's going to change his strategy. He says, listen, I, I, I've called you, I've commissioned you, I've appointed you. Guess what, guys? It's time to go out. You've been dependent upon me. You've seen what I can do. You've seen what I've done. You've seen my words. You've seen my power. You've seen my... Now what you need to do is I'm going to send you out on a mission from village to village. And that's kind of the backstory of where we find ourselves here. But there's something different, a little bit deeper, I believe, in Mark's gospel about this backstory, and it's this. When you go back and look at these instances that I just read about, there is something going on behind the scenes. And it's the idea of rejection. Guys, you're going to face rejection. You're going to face persecution, and it's not going to be easy. Right before the call to be fishers of men, in Mark chapter 1 and verse 4, it says this, John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, you know what happened to him? He's thrown in prison. We don't know what's happened to him. If you just read through the gospel, we don't know what's happened to him yet. We're going to find out next week. But the forerunner has been thrown in prison. In other words, there's going to be difficulties and challenges as you go out and take the message of Jesus to other people. And right before the calling of the twelve, in Mark chapter 3, verses 13 through 15, we see that the religious leaders have gathered together with Rome, with the Herodians, and they're partnering together. And what do they do? They're plotting behind the scenes because they want to kill Jesus. Mark chapter 3, it's just barely beginning, and they want to get rid of him because they don't like him. There's a plot underfoot. So this idea of rejection is coming forth. And so in our text this morning, Jesus is going to send them out. And guess what? It's going to be a really successful ministry. If you look at Mark chapter 6, verse 30, they come back to Jesus and they report of all of the wonderful things that they've done. But you know what happens between our text and Mark chapter 6, verse 30? John the Baptist 
dies. Why would Mark put that as a sandwich in there? Maybe what Mark is reminding the disciples, the people in Rome to whom maybe this is written to, and maybe what he's doing is reminding to us that guess what? When you go out to take the message of Jesus out, and when I send you out, it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. And not everyone is going to believe the message that you have to them. And so what do you need to do? You need to live with trust. You need to live with an absolute understanding that we are dependent upon God's spirit and God's authority as you and I go. I cannot convince this, this woman at the rest. I, I cannot convince her about Jesus. There is no way that I can humanly bring her to a knowledge, to an understanding of Jesus. My responsibility is simply what? To go out and to be faithful to what God's message would have for me to be. And I think it's the same thing for you and I. We have no idea what God is going to do and how he's going to use us and what we need to do. We need to make sure that you and I are listening to Jesus and walking in obedience to what he would have for us. And so what I would say is this. Don't, don't close your heart to a familiar passage. Don't close your heart to a familiar passage. Let's see what God might have for us here and how we can live maybe with a sense of urgency with who Jesus is and what he's going to do. So our mission, that's what we're looking at, on mission this morning. Number one, what, what would Jesus have for us learning? Number one is we, we need to go. Look at verse 7. Mark chapter 6, verse 7 says this, Calling the twelve to him, he sent them out two by two, and he gave them authority over evil spirits. Now I want you to think about the twelve for a minute. Notice how it says the twelve. So, so we're talking about the appointed. We're talking about the twelve. Well, we know who they are, Peter and Andrew and James and John the fishermen. You have this guy by the name of Simon the Zealot and a tax collector. How are those guys getting along, a tax collector and Simon the Zealot? And then you have this guy by the name of the doubter Thomas. You have this mishmash of people. And then one of my point is this, they're, they're ordinary people. They're people just like you and I. I don't see people with degrees here. I don't people see people with special abilities, unless you call um, being able to fish a special ability. I don't see any special talents of any of these people. These are simply people who've been called by God and they're going to be sent out, that's what the word means, sent out for a specific purpose, to tell people about Jesus. He's going to call them to a sense of repentance, if you will. And what would that message be? Mark chapter 1. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. That's the message that they were called and that's what they would be sent out to take to other people. And we take our cue, if you will, we take our cue from the person of Jesus and who he is and what he's done for us. And so what is he going to do? He's going to send them out two by two. Why two by two? Well, within Judaism, there's this idea of, of a message being confirmed by two witnesses. So I'm going to send them out. A bunch of pairs, six pairs of two, and they're going to go out two by two. And as they go out two by two, and Deuteronomy talks about their message was going to be confirmed by this idea of, of two witnesses. Two witnesses going from village to village, bringing a message that was centered in the Old Testament. But I think there's another reason for the two by two, and it's this. Don't we work better with another person? Ecclesiastes talks about a cord of three strands, talking about two people coming together to mutually encourage one another. If one falls, you have someone to help them up. If you get discouraged, a robber comes. You know, we have this idea of being able to come together and partnering together and helping each other in the cause of God. That's why I think we need to be here every Sunday morning. 
not legalistic, but being here in a sense of encouraging one another, helping one another, building up one another, singing songs of faith, being mutually encouraged, the word of God speaking into us, knowing that we have a contact of people praying for us and helping us as we go and take this message out. And notice how they were sent out. There's no degrees. There's no certifications. There's no, there's no, nothing tacked on the door about the way that they've been trained. There's no rabbi training here. Remember what Jesus said? I, I want you to be with me, and I want you to watch me. I want you to see what I've done. And after you've watched me, I want you to, to emulate my life. Just, just watch and see what I've done. And I'm going to send you out. And I'm going to send you out with authority. You're not going on your own, and you don't have a message of your own. I'm going to send you out with the very authority of God. Jesus received his authority from his heavenly Father. He recognized that he had been sent. And now what he's going to do, Jesus is, Jesus is going to send them out with the authority that he had given to them. By the way, this is the authority that they had already seen and lived out in his life. When they were, when they were first called, they're fishers, they're fishermen, and he, he comes alongside and he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. What do they do? They drop everything. They, listen, they gave up their businesses. Peter gave up his family to follow Jesus. That's authority, that's power. There's something about him. They didn't understand it, but they were willing to leave it and drop it all and follow him. At Peter's house in, in Capernaum, um, they're, they're, they're in its local synagogue in Capernaum, and Jesus is teaching, and all of a sudden there's a man with a demon, he's demon-possessed, and all of the people in the synagogue, they recognize Jesus is teaching as what? As one who has authority, not like the rabbis. And he casts out the demons. They saw and experienced this. Most likely in Peter's own house, as all these people are gathered together, a man, a paralyzed, he's dropped through, this, dropped through the ceiling right in front of him. And what does Jesus do? He, can, he, he heals this paralytic man. They watch him. He, they watch him, Jesus, physically heal this man. And he says, I have authority to what? To forgive sins. If I can bring healing to a paralyzed man, I can forgive sins. That's Jesus' authority. By the way, the storm on the, on, the, uh, on the Sea of Galilee, they're fearful for their life. Jesus is sleeping. Go wake him up. We're going to die. He speaks, and, and, and it says this, they were terrified and they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves, what? Obey him. My friends, that is the authority of God. And what Jesus is doing, he's taking these people, he's gathering them together, if you will, and he's going to send them out, not on their own authority, but the very authority that they have given to them because of who Jesus is, what he is, and what he will eventually do by offering himself as a substitute for our sin on the cross. So, so how does this idea of, of you and I being sent, how does this relate to us? I think there's two levels. Number one is this. On March 5th, Sammy and Spencer Youngblood are going to be next door, and they're part of our missions conference, part of our missions weekend. And the Youngbloods uh, grew up here. Um, Spencer grew up here, and he was a part of this church. And uh, he got married, and Sammy and Spencer sense a call of God in their lives to leave this area and go to Germany. Why are they going to? Because they believe that they've been called by God 
to go to a different place, to be sent by God to take the message of the life, death, burial, and the resurrection of other people. I think there's, on one level, some people are called to do that. I think that's what Luke's doing. Luke's figuring out going to seminary. He's figuring out ministry. He's figuring all of that stuff out. I had to figure it out. Is there a sense of a call of God in life? I think some people are called for some kind of pastoral ministry, mission work, things like that. But I think that's another level, and it's this. We're all called to go at some point. Every one of us are called to go. Listen, I can't go where you can go. And you can't go where I can go. But every one of us, I believe, are called to go. And maybe it's as simple as striking up a conversation with a person at the, uh, with the, person at the restaurant. Or maybe it's, a, your school, maybe it's a schoolmate. Maybe there's someone you're sitting next to at college. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's just this idea that what I need to do is I need to crawl inside their life and start asking some questions and take a genuine interest in them and say, listen, can I talk to you about your faith? Maybe it's a question you ask them. Hey, can I pray for you? Maybe it's a question, if you were to die today, where would you spend eternity? Well, that's too confrontational. Hmm. Well, maybe it's not. Maybe it's just your desire to know and understand where they're at spiritually because you recognize the sense of responsibility that we have. Listen, Paul hit this right on the head, 2 Corinthians. He says this, you're new creations in Christ. Because of your faith, you're new creations in Christ. The old things have passed away, behold, new things have come. Now, because of that, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, notice what he says. All this is from God, this idea that you're a new creation, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And when he, he gave us a ministry of reconciliation, reconciliation, two warring parties are separated. Now we have this ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. What Paul is simply reminding us is there is a sense of urgency in the way that we live. There's a sense of urgency knowing that there are people separated from Christ who need to hear about Jesus. Man, I live in the St. Charles area. A couple of days ago, I heard about this 16-year-old girl driving in a car in St. Charles. And they go off the road, five of them, they hit a pole. And one of them dies. And it just breaks my heart. It just breaks my heart. And we live with that every day. We look at what's going on in Syria and Turkey. And sometimes I think that we have this idea that, well, everything's nice and everything's good. But the sense of urgency reminds us that, that one day we're going to stand before God and we're going to give an account for the way that we live. And all people are going to do that. And because of that sense of urgency, I hope that what we want to do is we want to recognize that people are separated from God. And we have the most important message in the world. And that's to take the name of Jesus to them. And I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm trying to remind us of the wonder and the beauty of who Jesus is. And if Jesus has radically changed my life and your life, then we, would want to, see, we should want to tell that to other people. So there is a sense of urgency for us to go. So how do you go? I don't know how to go. Trust. Look at verse 8 and 9. He says, These were his instructions. Take nothing for your journey except the staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra tunic. 
Okay, so my wife and I, we have four children. And when we would travel, we would travel sometimes. We would go to uh, Seattle to see my family, or we would go to Denver, Colorado, and see Laura's family. Every year we would go there. And I, I confess to you that we were not light travelers. I mean, we were not light travelers of all. I mean, we had a big old van, and when we would travel, I would have four suitcases in the top of the van. Um, it, it was so bad that we went to see my parents in Seattle one year, and my dad showed up at the airport to pick us up in his motorhome because he did not... He, he actually brought the house on wheels because we had so much luggage with us. We were not light travelers. Listen, Paul, Jesus is saying, what I want you to do is I want you to be a light traveler. You're going to be going from village to village, from house to house. And what I want you to do is I want you to travel lightly because I don't want you to get distracted. I don't want you to get distracted about the message. The message is about the kingdom of God, the message about repentance. I don't want you to get distracted about all of that. Josephus says there were probably 204 villages outside of, in the area of Galilee. 204 villages. And remember, they're going out two by two. And so they're going to go to all of these little villages. And by the way, these are probably three, maybe 400 people in these villages. They're small little villages. And he says, listen, I don't want you to bring any protein bars. I don't want you to bring all this extra stuff. What I want you to do is, I don't want you to bring a beggar's bag. Listen, if you get there and it's tough, I don't want you pulling that beggar's bag and standing around trying to get money from people. And I don't want you to even bring the smallest of coins. Don't even tuck that smallest of coin in there. What I want you to do is I want you to go and leave it all at home. Because I don't want you to be distracted of the, of the mission at hand. I want you to travel lightly. Eliminate all of the hindrances in your life. Don't be worried about all of those things, if you will. There is a, a, a rule or a principle among the rabbis, among the Jewish rabbis, and it said this, that they were not to enter the temple area with a staff, shoes, or money bag, because what you wanted is you wanted to avoid the appearance of being engaged in any other kind of work. And I think the principle would be, listen, don't be going into those areas and people looking at you thinking that you're doing something else. Reduce your life, reduce your possessions down to your message, if you will, of being with them, embracing them, spending time with them, and telling them about the kingdom of God. By the way, if you go and look at Matthew's account of this, it's about 42 verses of how Jesus expands on what's actually going to happen when they take the message of Jesus out. In our text, it's eight verses. Go back and look at Matthew's version, Matthew chapter 10, and Jesus adds these things. By the way, I'm sending you out a sheep in the midst of wolves. What? By the way, um, you're going to be hated by all people because of me. By the way, you may get arrested. Uh, By the way, I've not come to bring peace. I've come to bring division. And sometimes even families are going to be divided about who I am. That's how hard and that's how difficult this is going to be. And sandwiched in Matthew chapter 10 is this this principle from Jesus about how they were to trust their heavenly father. Matthew chapter 10 verse 29, notice what Jesus says to the disciples. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. And even the very hairs of your head are numbered. So don't be afraid, 
you're worth more than many sparrows. The God who knows when a bird falls from the sky and the God who knows how many hairs I have on my head and, and your head and, and, and he's intimately acquainted with every aspect of your life. That's the God that we trust and that's what he wanted them to do. Will you trust me that I can provide for you in the most difficult and challenging of circumstances? Will you walk in obedience of me and trust me? And by the way, they all lost their lives, didn't they? All but one. Didn't they all lose their lives? And that's what he's saying. Will, will you trust me? Because ultimately, this little mission trip, either this is a mini mission trip, this little mission trip, if you will, is a preview of the bigger and greater mission trip that they're going to be sent out on after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Because they all walk away. They all leave. They leave Jesus. They're scattered. And Jesus has to come back to them and be with them and show them that they needed to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon them and then they would be sent out. And only weeks, weeks back in Jerusalem, weeks after they've denied Jesus, they're back in the city of Jerusalem. And what are they doing? They're telling people about Jesus because their lives have been radically transformed. So we go, we trust Last, this is going to be the last thing. Be hospitable. Be hospitable. Now, when I read this, when I read this, I realize that it's, it talks about the way that they're to go into the city and people are going to be hospitable to them. But I think that they're supposed to be hospitable. And I'll show you what that means. Notice what he says in verse 10. He says this, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave as a testimony Against them. Remember, Jesus has already modeled ministry for them. They have seen him work. They've seen his power. They've been around him. And now he says, listen, I'm going to send you out. And there's no doubt in that Middle Eastern culture, they knew about hospitality. They knew about it. They knew about a God who had helped them come out of Egypt. And because of what God had done to the nation of Israel... They were now to be a peace and a comfort to strangers. So they were to offer hospitality, if you will. Abraham, in the book of, of, of Genesis, Abraham, in, in Genesis chapter 18, there's three visitors that come to, to meet him. And you know what Abraham does? He, he sees the visitors from far. He runs out to them. And he says, come and stay in my tent. So this idea of hospitality, no doubt, is very, very prevalent in their life. And so what was the instruction to them? The instruction was this. When you go, go to that home, stay in the hometown, and do your work in that area. In other words, she says this. Listen, I don't want you to go to this town. I don't want you to stay there. And, and Mary's got a, a modest little town, a modest little house. It's a, it's a two-bedroom, and you'll be sleeping in that. Don't go to that house and stay there. And then after two days, have, have Clint come alongside and say, listen, that house, that's a, it's a great house, a little small for you. But I've got a pool out back. I've got a jacuzzi. I've got a really nice car. I don't have a mule. But I've got a... Don't be up in the ante and moving from one place to another. Listen, what, what happens if you move from this place to another place? What, what image does that give you of the gospel that you're not trusting in God? What, what does it do? What is that perception? You can damage people's relationships. And I think that's exactly what can happen. Don't be offense to the gospel by moving from one place to another. 
trying to seek out comfort. There's a reason why you're only supposed to take one step and not extra boots and food and all that other kind of stuff. Trust that I'm going to direct the people to come into your life. But second, has the idea of when you read and you go into that village and, and there's a warm reception, stay with them and, and live among them, minister among them, and point them ultimately to the person of Jesus Christ. And if they don't, after you've been among them and you've talked to them and you've proclaimed the claims of Jesus to them, then what you need to do is you need to walk out and you need to shake the dust off your feet. And what that will do is that will become a witness or that will become a testimony to them. In other words, what he wants them to do is, I want you to do that because I want them to think about, I want them to think about the message that I've given to you and the message that you are relating to. I want them to think about that, that there is the possibility of judgment in their life. That's what the rabbis would do. Rabbis would go into uh, pagan territory. They would go into Gentile territory. And then when they would come back into their own territory, what they'd do, they would shake the dust of their feet as a sign against the Gentiles that judgment is coming if they don't reconcile their life with the Holy God. Now, for us, if, if this gal somehow rejects whatever message that I might have, I'm not going to stand in the middle of the restaurant and go, hey, guess what? I'm shaking. I'm not going to do that. But I can say that you realize that the Bible talks about it as appointed for man to die once and after this comes judgment. Are you ready to stand in front of a holy God and give an account for your life? The reason I say that is because this message is vitally important. 2 Thessalonians, and I'll be done. Notice what he says. This is absolutely frightening. He will punish those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction, shut up from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. If that does not convey to us a sense of urgency, it should. But people are going to spend eternity away from the presence of the Lord for the glorious power. And I have no power to change a person's eternal destiny. The only thing that I can do is be faithful. Faithful to what God has called me to do, to go where he wants me to go, to trust him for what he would have me to do, to use my mind and my heart and the revelation that God has given to me to present the claims of Jesus to them and to trust that the Spirit of God would work in their lives. This gal may never come to our church. She may never come to a church. I feel it's my responsibility to simply communicate the claims of Jesus. And if she's faithful to read the Gospel of John, she's going to read all about it. She's going to read all about Jesus. So, this is maybe my, my missions conference challenge to each one of us. God is sending us. Where is he sending you this morning? Where is he sent you? God has outlined, ordained our lives to go certain places and to meet certain people. If this is not a heart passion right now, what you can do is you can, you can trust and say, Lord, I'm going to play, pray Colossians 4, chapter 2. God, open a door for me to be able to speak the mystery of Christ. Give me a sense of heart and a passion for what would go. And I'm going to trust you that you're going to do that. 
Father, thank you for your word. Father, every one of us, I would imagine every one of us knows Jesus. And Father, I thank you for the way that you have transformed it. That Father, we have, each one of us embraced the message. We have repented of our sin. We have put our faith, our trust, and our confidence in the person of Jesus. The kingdom of God is about the rule and the reign of Jesus. Thank you that we have the great privilege of living out the life of Jesus. And Father, I do pray, Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, that you would open doors for us to be able to speak the mystery of who Jesus is and the wonder and the beauty of who he is. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.